Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic. Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore. This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Welcome to Challenging Christianity. It's Rebecca Kinnestrand, Daniel Dadashi, and we have Pastor Gina Herman in our podcast this morning. Thanks for joining us and listening. Yay! It's good to be back talking to folks. Um, I want to just plug a couple different things. Go to Holy Spirit Lutheran Church for um, all kinds of, oh, get your theology on. You know, you can watch the sermons. You can watch entire uh, liturgies. You can do adult education. Pastor Mike has a great Crossways class going on. I'm going to go into that a little bit because I did a little bit of research on what we're going to do today, and he is doing a fabulous job. Um, if you want to get into really, really details, you know, he does an hour or two lecture on every book in the Bible, and it's fantastic. I'm really excited about going a little bit into, instead of general topics that we have done in the past, we've been diving a little bit into the books of the Bible, and today we're going to talk about Daniel. And I was sadly, sadly, um, not misinformed, but I just didn't know a lot about Daniel, you know, before I started researching for this episode. And first and foremost of where it is in the Bible. And so it's at the very, very end of the Old Testament prior to the New Testament. So I don't know, Pastor Gina, if you want to just walk us through right from the beginning, where is it in the Bible? What What's important in here? And how, the history of this book is particularly important to know what's happening around it. And I think that one of the things that a lot of people forget is that the Bible is really rooted in historical events, what was going on, who was talking to who and why. And so plucking things out just here and there don't doesn't really make sense when you're talking about Christianity. So let's talk about it. What what have you got for us, Pastor Gina? Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right, Rebecca. Um, So Daniel in particular is an interesting book. Uh, And one of the the most interesting things about it is that it was most likely written by at least two different authors. Uh, And the way that- Not named Daniel, right? Not not named Daniel, Daniel, right? It's (laughs) probably a pseudonym, right? And we we get that in, in many other books of the Bible too. But when it's it's particularly interesting because it was, and we know this for a fact, so it was written in two different languages. It was written in both Hebrew and Aramaic. And, uh, and so trying to figure out the timing of this book is really interesting. Uh, if you look at the, the last six chapters, um, we get some more specific history that, that Daniel mentions for us to try and figure out where they are. And so that was probably written, uh, during the reign of Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes. Uh, so that was like mm. around 167, 164 BCE. But the first half of the book <laughs> could have been written from my studies, could have been written as early as 537 BCE, all the way up to 70 CE, which would be through the time of Jesus and afterwards. Uh, and yeah. so it's really hard to pinpoint when exactly this book was written. Um, however, the sick. message of the book is really um, is really powerful, uh, regardless of when it was written. So we're, we'll get into that a little bit in just a minute. Great. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was going to say, but the book itself 
it sits at the end of the Old Testament. Yes. And prior to the New Testament. It is the last book of the Testament, isn't it, of the Old Testament? It's not the, the last book of the Old Testament. The last book oh. of the Old Testament is Haggai. There's, uh, yeah, the, this is, is one of the um, the only, one of the few, I guess, uh, places in the Old Testament where it talks about the, uh, it, it gives an image of the end times and talks more uh, in an apocalyptic uh, uh, idea, an apocalyptic literature. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's my mistake. So that I thought it was written during this what they call the intertestimonial. I learned that <laughs> the intertestimonial period between one Testament and the other. Um, well, and, and right. And historically, that's why I was saying that that is true uh, historically. And so that's why I say the, the, um, the last or the first six chapters could have been written way before the time of Jesus, all the way through the time of Jesus and afterwards. So it is during this intertestamental period, as you say, okay. Um, but in the, the, um, the terms of the, uh, the scriptures, when you're looking up something in the Bible, it's not the last chapter of the old Testament, but, but yeah, as always, the Bible can't just make things simple (laughs) because then I heard that the Catholics, they have a whole different thing going on because they put the Maccabeans in there. And so anyway, it's around that, that time period. And what I found really interesting was that, um, Daniel isn't the person of Daniel and what is going on with Daniel is this sort of um, mythical hero in a way. It isn't the stories are like Paul Bunyan type stories or something that somebody, uh, you know, a hero from the past that we're trying to learn things from. Can you, I don't know if I'm leading you in the right direction, but why don't you tell us a little bit about who is this Daniel and what are we learning from him? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, Daniel is uh, a, a, as you say, a historical uh, hero. And um, when you when you read uh, the stories of of Daniel, which uh, there's a lot of stories that people are familiar with because they're so uh, fantastical. Um, So you get Daniel in the lion's den, you get Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace, you get the writing on the wall, right, which people still use um, in in regular colloquial expression today. Um, so you get that. all these fantastical mm-hmm. stories in the book of Daniel. Uh, and it's important to remember that these chapters of Daniel are mini novellas, as they call them. Um, and so, uh, you know, Daniel is written by and for Jewish people who are living at the time outside the physical boundaries of the kingdom of Israel. Israel. Um, they've been dispersed and exiled. Um, there's a lot of talk about Babylon, um, which is sort of uh, in scripture, sort of like the the ultimate evil, the ultimate um, thing, person, people. Well, didn't uh, the Babylonians enslave the Jews? Isn't that they part did? Of, yes, that's, for a very yeah, long so. time. Um, so the Babylonians, uh, you know, you read about Babylon not only in the Old Testament but even in the New Testament. So they are sort of the the ones that, that are does. always referred to as the ultimate evil, the Babylon, uh, Babylonians. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. the, the Babylonians treated the Jew- Jews uh, just horribly. They forced the Jews into exile. Um, the Jews be- kind of became prisoners of war. Uh, they destroyed their homes. They destroyed, of course, their beloved temple, uh, which was horrible. Uh, people were tortured. They would put into harsh labor. 
Um, there was slavery um, to the extent where um, there's even a, a, they would take away, strip away their identity. So they had to change their names to match the names of the culture, which is why when you read through Daniel, uh, Daniel's also referred to as Belteshazzar, uh, which I'm not probably not saying it, Belteshazzar, sorry, excuse me. Yeah, but it's this, this, yeah, it's this idea of having your identity completely stripped. And so when you read the first uh, six chapters and you get these these stories about Daniel, um, they're stories that are meant to inspire and give hope to Jews who are living in this uh, in this economy, in this culture. Mm. Um, so they're stories so they're horribly, horribly oppressed. Yes. Um, and I, I don't know. Was it the Babylonians? Then the Persians came along and then Alexander the Great. Wasn't it the great? Greekification, the Hellenization of that area, and this really bad dude. And I just want the, I just want our listeners to know this really bad dude, Antiochus the Fourth. He was like the really, really bad dude who's put up, you know, temples and statues of himself and said you have to pray to me as a god and so on. And so it's under this oppression that these people are writing these hero stories of Daniel, right? Absolutely. Did I get that right? Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I was going to get into that in the second half of Daniel, because that comes a lot up a lot in the apocalyptic part of Daniel. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, that, you know, when you think about this, modern day comparisons could be like movies or comic books where people who feel as though they can't connect with culture or are oppressed or uh, are really struggling with with life and don't know how to get out of their situation, they they have these heroes that they write about that can sort of take them out of their their darkness. Iron out Man. Of the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, those are, are part of it. And today, uh, one of the things that I think is particularly powerful about these stories is that when we listen to the stories of of exiles, of refugees, of minorities who have been suppressed by society, they actually help us to better understand and interpret these stories um, that talk about living in a society where you feel completely powerless um, I know that there's a lot of a lot of teens in our country and around the world uh, who really struggle with this feeling of powerlessness of, um, you know, not being able to connect with what's going on in the culture, um, struggling with a variety of, of things, including mental illness, including, you know, extra pressures put on them by society, all kinds of things. And, and these stories are ways of saying, no, I'm, I'm going to be more like this person in the story. When I read this, mm-hmm. this gives me hope because I can see myself as succeeding, as th- surviving, as thriving in the midst of this horribly oppressive, uh, scary culture. I felt like this book is hard, though, to, you know, if I were to give advice to listeners, I probably wouldn't say out of the blue, just with no other knowledge to pick up this book and read it. Because when I look at it, it's like, what? I mean, (laughs) you know, you've got these stories and it's talking about rams and horns and goats and people. And all of it relates to what was happening in the time period. And it's all analogies to Alexander the Great coming in or the horns with the different political parties and what's going on. And so I would encourage 
you know, I think it's just a classic case of sometimes people might want to read the Bible and they might say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I should do this. And then they just get lost. Like what? It, it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, what do, what do you recommend to folks? Cause you don't want to say, Hey, don't read the Bible, but kind of, you don't, you need somebody <laughs> to help guide you through these things. I mean, if you don't know what happened with these, you know, I just know because I looked it up, but it's like Antiochus and um, Nebuchadnezzar and Alexander the Great and the oppression of the Jews and all the historical things going on there and who they were talking to and why. How are you going to make sense of this? Yeah. Um, so again, we're getting into the the second half of Daniel now with the uh, apocalyptic literature. Um, and before we go any farther, I think a lot of people hear that word apocalyptic and they think horrible end times, people burning in fires and monsters mm-hmm. and things like that. That's why people don't are afraid to read Revelation. Uh, yeah. And but but the word apocalyptic really just means un, uncovering or a revelation, um, seeing and understanding something in in a new way. Uh, and it's important to when you read apocalyptic literature, either here in Daniel or um, or in Revelation, that you you think about it uh, when you're going into as uh, political satire or as oh, uh, almost a secret language only understand by other other Jews. Uh, so I had to, as to give hope uh, in the midst of persecution and oppression. So, um, so you didn't another... get hauled away to political jail, right? Exactly. Needed, right. Like protest songs almost. Yep. Yep. Like war the, protest I would say the songs. other, the other thing that came to my mind was the, the songs, uh, from the underground railroad where people who were yeah. hearing them, they wouldn't understand what they meant unless you were one of those people who was trying to escape. Uh, and so it's that kind of imagery uh, and mentality you have to think about when you're reading apocalyptic mm. literature. Um, that is cool. Yeah. So, so it go, is a code. Yes, it's definitely a code. And um, and to anybody who wants to pick up the Bible and read Daniel, um, absolutely do it. But make sure that you have a, a Bible that has some sort of of commentary. That's a, a study Bible, um, because that will help you a lot in understanding what's going on. Um, so uh, to what you were saying, Rebecca, yeah, if you just look at just the very first part of the second half of Daniel chapter seven, uh, you know, it talks about these four beasts, which can be interpreted as the four kingdoms of that time, Babylon, Mesopotamia, Persia, and Greece. Um, there's these 10 horns on the dragons that represent the 10 successors of Alexander the Great. Um, and there's the little horn. I love this one. The little horn with a big mouth that speaks arrogantly, which is supposed to be Antiochus the fourth. <laughs> that guy was bad. Yeah, yeah I would he not, was really awful. I would not have gotten Antiochus the fourth from a little horn with a big mouth. I know. Unless I had some sort of <laughs> A study Bible, yeah. right? That's a deep That's- cut. Exactly. That's rough. All this apocalyptic literature is really political oppression literature. Now, I probably I've skipped ahead to the second part. I know you were like on the first part. Should we go back to that? Should we go back to what you were going to say about what's happening in the first part of Daniel here? Yeah, um, I mean, we were talking uh, a little bit about this uh, already, but the uh, again, these are are just these these great stories that uh, people can connect with and um, uh, and imagine themselves uh, in a sense not being in the spot that they are, uh, almost an escape uh, from what they're experiencing in the real world, and 
having that that hope that um, you know I, I the, in the little things that I do, I can uh, become more and more like these great heroes that are coming up, um, mm. heroes like like Daniel. Uh, and so, you know, when you're when you're looking around and you see um, people uh, who are are treated treated horribly, um, I mean, you think about the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Um, that would have been really powerful to people who, you know, for for whom this was a regular thing. That if you um, spoke against the leading people at the time, the the leading oppressors, the kingdoms at that time. It, it would not be weird for them to throw you into a lion's pit. <laughs> I mean, like that, wow. that was an actual right. thing. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these, these people are, or into a fiery furnace. Uh, and so, so people who are reading this are like, okay, even when I'm in this horrible place, even when I see all this horrible stuff going on around me, um, I know that, that God is still with me. God will um, will continue to be with us, and uh, and you know even in the horrible, most awful depths, pits, fires, whatever it is, God is still with yeah. us and walks with us, and we that's something that no one can ever take away. That's a part of your identity that no one can ever strip away from you. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the first part of Daniel is that is that the the lion's den and those those stories. Yeah, are those just out now? When when is it that he's interpreting dreams? There's something about dream interpretation. Yeah, so um, this is another interesting thing is that in the first half, again, another signal that this was written by more than one person. But in the first half of Daniel, it's interesting that the king at that time is having these dreams, and no one can figure out or interpret what's happening in these dreams. And, uh, and so they call in Daniel to um, interpret these dreams because no one else can. None of the, the people who uh, are the, the sorcerers, the, the dream tellers um, that, that are underneath the king uh, in this, uh, this Greek world, so to speak, this Gentile world, uh, can understand what's going on. And God is trying to speak through this, uh, this oppressor, through this, this king. Uh, and, and tell him, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you should start listening to these people that you're oppressing. And so it's, uh, really another really powerful symbol, right? That only Daniel can interpret this. And so Mm -hmm. Daniel becomes more and more important to the King because he can interpret the things that the others, um, cannot. And so then because of this, they can, um, the others want to kill him. And, uh, and find ways to, again, (laughs) I know, no surprise there, right? Uh, and so they find ways to make, I mean, this is, you hear some of the same stuff in the the story of, of Esther too, right? Like, and, and all sorts of things where there's dream interpretation, um, the Jew, there's the, the, the Jew, that's the hero that gets moved up higher and higher. And of course there's people that don't like it because they're being replaced. They're being, um, uh, kind of pushed to the side. They don't have as much power now as this this Jew, uh, whose people right. are enslaved, and so uh, of course they they come up with ways to say only uh, you know we think that only you should be worshipped and praised. And so if anybody tries to worship someone other than you, my beloved king, 
then um, then they should be punished, right? And so, mm-hmm. king, isn't this the story of Moses too? There's this a lot. Ringing, of, I was going to say this bells. is a very common <laughs> very story familiar. throughout history, throughout mm. scripture, right? Uh, and so mm. it, it all it all comes back to this this idea that God is um, is lifting up the lowly, lifting up those who are oppressed to do great things, and that that no one is going to stop God from from doing. Uh, these great things through God's people. Um, I was talking before we started recording about this um, video. It's a historical video. And since 150 million people have already seen it, listeners, you might have already seen it, but it's called History of the World, I guess. And it's a little cartoon sort of video about history of the world. And what's really interesting is that he goes, he's sort of spinning this globe and he's as time goes on, it's like, oh, here's China and it's broken again, but now it's back together. And here's the Indus River Valley. Here's the Assyrians. Now they're Babylonians. Now they're Persians. Oh, wait, here's Alexander the Great. You know, and it all happens within literally two seconds because that's how fast you have to go <laughs> to do the history of the world. It's refreshing in a way to see that these giant powers, and when you look at it on a map, on a historical time frame, how it's like, oh, they took over this whole thing. Well, now they're gone. Uh, the Holy Roman Empire, and they ate up the whole Mediterranean. Well, they, they'll never fall, right? And it it happens so quickly. The colors on this map through the history of the world, they change so quickly. And so I guess with Daniel, what they're trying to say is, hold on. Yeah, hold absolutely. On. I was in a, um, the grocery store yesterday. And there was a magazine uh, cover that I had to buy. Uh, I ended up buying because it was so interesting. But um, the cover of the magazine was just this uh, this pool of water, like someone was in the ocean, and there's just a hand sticking up out of the water, and it said, "Don't give up." <laughs> wow! And so I was like, "Yeah, that that's how we feel today. I'm sure that's that's what the people felt then." Um, so there's a lot of interesting parallels to things throughout history, as well as, you know, to what's happening even in our world today. Oh, yeah. Well, what you have to tell me what the article was now. And I'm so curious. It was actually Seattle Magazine. Uh, and okay. they were talking about, and I, I loved this. So this is why, the, why I bought it. But they were talking about all the ways in which there's these little uh, heroes and heroines, um, you know, that are are doing grassroots um, stuff in our culture today and are keeping conversation alive. Um, uh, so, for instance, one of the articles was about uh, people who are still standing up to uh, to gun violence in our country. Um, the person that they interviewed was one of the survivors of the the shooting down in Las Vegas. Uh, a couple mm. of years ago. And so I was mm. talking about the ways in which she's really come out and talking about gun safety. Um, there was another article in there uh, talking and interviewing women on regards with regards to Roe v. Wade and how that's impacted them. So uh, mm. so it's a really great epi- or a, uh, magazine um, uh, this year, uh, this mm. season. I'm not saying this right. This particular <laughs> issue, that's the word I was looking for. Sorry, I only uh-huh. had one cup of coffee this morning. No, uh, but yeah, I that particular issue. Uh, and so it was really great. Um, but yeah, it's the September, October issue of Seattle Magazine. And the mm. um, yeah, and so I, it's it's really good. There's a lot of great stories in there that are uplifting and hopeful and say exactly what you were saying, Rebecca, don't give up. Don't give up. I mean, but it can be rough when you're looking at like 
a thousand years of history yeah, or something. I know. Hopefully it but, won't take that long for all of this. <laughs> for sure. It's, I, I resonate with that a lot. And a lot of what we've been talking about with the book of Daniel has reminded me of um, what's been going on in Iran right now with yes. um, the death of Gina Masa Amini and all the young girls who are at the forefront of this protest movement who are living in an Iran that to me and my family, and we are Iranian, I think of it as the the revolution happened in 79 and now it's become an Islamic regime. Before that, it was open and democratic. And I think of this as a, a new incarnation of Iran. But to these young teenage girls who are running, who are in this revolution right now, who are protesting, this is the only Iran they've ever known. Ayatollah right. Khomeini is the only leader they've known. They've only known morality police. And they've only known Iran in this one way. And they're fighting for something new, whereas maybe a couple generations ago, they might have been, the the older folks are looking back and seeing, oh, they're striving for what we once had, what we once were. And how different that can look. And um, that kind of history of the world that you were talking about, how quickly it changes. It happens Mm. in the blink of an eye. It happens in a generation of how we see ourselves, how we see what kind of civilization we're a part of what kind of group we are Mm -hmm. and that uh that feeling of wanting change of wanting something new of wanting of yearning to do something great the book of daniel really seems to encapsulate that feeling that is still always bubbling up somewhere i feel like in the world there's always somewhere that's in the midst of those daniel moments that's in the midst of those um, big changes and secret messages. And we can, we can do this. We can overcome the oppressor and it's, it's Mm. universal. The history of the world, Mm -hmm. that blink of the eye video, probably the one thing that's unchanged throughout history is people striving to change and make things better of striving to make big sacrifices to do big, life-changing, world-changing things. Mm. Yeah, I I was wondering when we were talking, especially because it was so, it's so heavy in history, this book, that I was like, why did they choose this one? I mean, the Bible was chosen. It was like, which books do we put in? Which books do we not? Some people, Catholics, put some things in that the Protestants don't have and so on. But now as we're talking, I think, you know, like you said, the story of, political oppression, maybe that they were wise in understanding that this was going to continue. This was a story, these stories were things that people were going to need for a long time (laughs) until the, until the kingdom of heaven, I guess is, you know, the answer there. I was going to say, I just, I can't see a time when we're ever going to be able to organize ourselves within communities that where there isn't going to be imperfection in the way we organize our world and the way we organize how we relate to each other. We're always going to be striving for something different until the kingdom of God. And so I think it is one of the only universal things that people will strive to change. Then I turn to you, Pastor Jean. I think in Daniel also happened that the Maccabeans came along and they were a powerful family. And wasn't there an uprising? Can, can you speak to that? I don't know. I don't want to talk about it because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, that's okay. 
Um, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I didn't, uh, double check my history on this, but from what <laughs> I remember from seminary, I'll go back that far. It has been a while. Uh, but the, the Maccabeans were, were sort of this, uh, like you say, inter, intertestamental family. Uh, and they, um, uh, they were part of, uh, the, uh, the, the war, the uprising under Josephus, if I remember correctly. And um, they were the ones that, you know, there were a lot of people who thought Josephus uh, was the, the Messiah that they'd been waiting for because Josephus came and um, was, was standing up and you had this revolt uh, of, of the Jews and, um, you know, it was a really bloody battle and they, they came in, they tried to, to overtake um, their oppressors and, uh, and unfortunately it did not end well. Uh, and so they were, uh, you know, the, this is after the, the second destruction <laughs> of the temple. Right. Uh, and so they, they were trying to take back their land, trying to, to rise up and, um, and it didn't, it didn't work, uh, unfortunately in this one case. Um, but again, it was this, this family, uh, and this, this group of people who, who said, you know, we've got to do something. We can't just sit here and wait for things to change. We need to help make this change. Uh, and mm. so that's, um, that from, from my memory, again, you might want to double check, but from my memory, uh, that the history of the, the Maccabees, um, in that, in that era, uh, was one of of standing up to oppression and um and even though that particular revolt didn't um do what they had hoped it would uh i think it also paved the way for people to start looking at okay what are other ways that we can overcome yeah. our our oppressors um one of the the interesting things that that i noticed and uh that my about going back to to daniel um mm. that my uh my Bible was telling me and, and talking about the, the notes in my Bible uh, were that every time you read these, these stories that we know and love, uh, well, maybe not love, but no, no, as <laughs> no. well. Anyway, or maybe not <laughs> some no. of them are we great. Are... Some of them, but, uh, so, but yeah, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, uh, even the, the writing on the wall, um, they're examples of nonviolent protest. Uh, and so it's it's mm. interesting to think about that as happening during this uh, around the same time as this era of the Maccabees and the Maccabean revolt and wanting mm. to take back. Uh, but how do you do that? And, mm. uh, you know, and so if violence doesn't work, what are other ways that we can maybe fight back that that might work in a different way? Um, mm. mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Daniel was submissive and said, Hey, I'm not going to stop worshiping my God. Uh, if you want to throw me into a lion's den, go for it. And so it was it. through that experience that, um, that of course the lions didn't eat him. And, uh, and the King came to actually praise God in that moment and say, wow, you, your God is the only God. That's, that's amazing. Uh, mm. so it's just, it's this interesting image. And didn't he for, um, I realize that some of our listeners may have no idea about these stories, right? Didn't he refuse because uh, Antiochus was telling all the Jews that they had to eat pork? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Meshach and Abednego and yeah. uh, Daniel were all at a dinner because they were employed by the king and they he served pork 
to them and was going to force them to eat it. And Daniel said no. And then then he was going to well, put in a fiery furnace. What, what's the story there? So I was going to say that the story there actually is, um, I mean, there's always uh, stuff around meals too, right? The writing on mm. the wall happened in a meal where, um, where the king wanted to show off how powerful he was. And so in this meal, he brought out all of his, all of his gold and, and all of his fancy things. Uh, and they were, they're having this fabulous meal while, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were starving. And, um, and mm-hmm. that's when he saw the writing on the wall with Daniel. It was, uh, I think you should praise me and, or well, sorry, with Daniel, the king, uh, and his advisors were the ones who said, no, I, I'm a God too. I'm a mini God because look mm-hmm. at all I've done. Look at all I can do. Right. And it was Daniel's refusal to worship the king as a God that got him thrown into the lion's den. Uh, mm-hmm. Similarly with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, there's this giant statue of gold that, um, that the king builds and he wants everybody to worship this statue and they refuse. And so they get thrown into the fiery furnace. So it's, but they don't uh, burn. But they don't burn. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's and in the fact, mythic hero part. Yeah, yeah. they they don't mm-hmm. burn. And there's a, a fourth uh, person, uh, supposedly an angel, in there with them, protecting them. And they're just walking around the furnace and having a good time, kind of thing. When they look <laughs> in, uh, until they come out and are completely un, untouched. So it's uh, again, it's it's going against these oppressors and remembering that that you know the the God of Abraham, the God of our ancestors, is always with us in the midst of these things. And so if you are are able to uh, you know resist in nine nonviolent ways and hold true to the truth that you know, to the God that you know, that mm. there are are ways in which that can liberate you. Yeah, I would say that. Uh just to modernize it to that this book is full of Easter eggs, right? It's like, mm-hmm. this is the equivalent of flying under the radar of the powers that be. But the hope that Daniel brings is that God is with you and you're not alone. Please hear that. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will be with you next time. Mm-hmm.